listeners, and welcome to Monsters Advocate. Monsters Advocate is a bi-weekly podcast focused around the unsung heroes of myths and legends, the monsters. We'll take a look at some monster-centric myths and legends, some not-so-ancient cryptids, and everything in between, and try to sort out possible origin species, biological impetus for why they do what they do, and why we love to hear about them. Dear listeners, can I let you in on a little secret? I love monsters. That's not the secret, but I love monsters because to me, they are far less scary than people. Monsters usually have simple needs, simple motives. They want to eat, or they're defending their territory, or they want to challenge you to a sumo match. People though, people are so much more complex. I have a hard time telling what people are thinking. Let's take you for example. What are you thinking about right now? Are you hungry? Do you like the sound of my voice? Are you thinking about a video of a kitten you saw earlier? I feel comfortable speaking to you because I can't see you. But if all you listeners were in a room right now and all your eyes were on me, I'd be petrified. Motionless. Now, I'm sure I'm not alone in feeling that way. I'm sure some of you probably feel that way too when everyone's looking at you. There's something about the eyes, the attention of another being, the acknowledgement of your mutual existence in the same time and place that is both terrifying and awesome. There are few creatures that can arrest with just a look, but there are some, and some of those creatures take the captivating gaze to a whole new level. Creatures that can kill you just by making eye contact. This week, let's learn about a king, the world's most dangerous poultry, and a thick-headed ungulate. And, just for fun, I will try to sell you one as a pet. Because let's face it, everyone is looking for a new best friend. First up is an instant classic that all of you Potterheads thought of immediately. The Basilisk. Now, in the movies, the Basilisk is a giant snake that really makes the name seem ironic, because the word Basilisk is a Greek word meaning little king. You see, unlike the beefy, secret-chamber-living serpent in J.K. Rowling's world, the original basilisk is much smaller, but arguably more noble. Pliny the Elder describes the basilisk as a small snake, no more than 12 fingers in length. If you've just caught a small snake, and are unsure whether or not your newly acquired friend is a basilisk, there are three easy tells besides the obvious looking into its eyes and getting turned into a statuary. One, a basilisk has a crown-like crest, similar to a rooster's comb, or a white spot on its forehead that looks like a diadem. Two, unlike a normal snake that moves from side to side when slithering, a basilisk moves with its head raised, using only the middle of its body to propel itself. And three, the most obvious tell, the basilisk is so venomous that anything it touches is killed just by touching it including plants and somehow rocks, so if the snake you just caught is a basilisk, you are likely already very dead. Its venom is so potent that Pliny the Elder recounts that it was widely believed that if a man on horseback killed a basilisk with a spear, the venom of the basilisk would run up the spear and kill not only the rider, but the horse too. Now normally I would say that the basilisk can't help how truly deadly it is and that it's primarily killing plants and men on horseback in self-defense. But this is entirely untrue. The basilisk has some major tood, so much so that part of the reason it gets the title Little King 
is that other snakes would flee from its hiss. And I'm not talking about garter snakes. The basilisk is found near modern-day Shahat, Libya, so the local snakes include adders and crates. Imagine being a crate, one of the most toxic snake species in the world. Not very many predators besides bigger snakes of your own kind. And you hear the basilisk and decide, nope, that snake is way scarier than me. In Leonardo da Vinci's Bestiary, he wrote about the basilisk. It is so utterly cruel that when it cannot kill animals by its baleful gaze, it turns upon herbs and plants, and fixing its gaze on them withers them up. So, all that being said, you're probably looking for husbandry tips on how to hatch one of your own, right? Well, don't worry. It's actually surprisingly easy. All you need to do is get an egg from a serpent or a toad and have an old rooster incubate it until it hatches. That's it. Now, logistic problems about toad eggs needing to be in water to live aside, it's a pretty doable process. Basilisk hatching was all the rage for alchemists, who believed that powdered basilisk blood, powdered human blood, red copper, and a secret type of vinegar was all you needed to convert copper to gold. Now, if you want to keep your newly hatched pet basilisk safe, there are a few things to watch out for. The first is that basilisks can actually be killed by hearing the crow of a rooster, so you want to keep your baby basilisk far away from its surrogate father, possibly in some sort of chamber built for keeping secrets. Next, no matter how beautiful your new pet is, do not show your basilisk its own reflection in a mirror. Apparently, basilisks are not immune to their own powers of petrification, and so if it sees itself in a mirror, it will become petrified. This has only been recorded as killing one basilisk in Warsaw, but even one basilisk death is one too many. Unfortunately, this probably goes for camera phones too, so no selfies. Lastly, the most important thing is to make sure your underground basilisk containment chamber is weasel-free. Apparently, if a weasel finds a basilisk in its lair, or is thrown into a basilisk's den by a would-be basilisk slayer, the weasel's odor is so powerful that it will actually kill the basilisk, but the weasel will die too in the process. And honestly, that's just too much heartache in one day. Because of this last weakness, and the basilisk's crown markings and propensity to slither with an upright head, some scholars speculate that the basilisk is actually inspired by stories about cobras, whose only natural predators are each other and mongooses. I don't think it's too much of a stretch either to get a basilisk from a cobra. Many cobras have markings on their head. They are all very venomous, and spitting cobras can and do aim their venom at the eyes of potential threats with both remarkable distance and accuracy. Which, if you're on the receiving end, would probably make you assume the snake had looked at you and was killing you with its gaze. You'd have to assume this, of course, because the venom would be blinding you. At this point, though, I can tell some of you aren't sold. That's fine. Some people like their pets to have a few more legs. If you're in the market for a creature that can petrify with a look, but isn't so snaky, might I suggest a cockatrice? A cockatrice is something of a divergent evolution of the basilisk in mythology, and doesn't really appear as a distinct creature from the basilisk until the 14th century. At this point, a cockatrice is described as a chicken-sized bipedal creature with a rooster's head, leathery, bat-like wings, and the tail of a dragon. The cockatrice, 
like the basilisk, can kill with a look, a touch, and in some cases, even by breathing on you. But unlike the basilisk, they don't seem to scare snakes. That being said, they are part rooster, and if you've ever met a rooster, you'd be right in assuming that they still have that murdery streak. Part of me thinks that the cockatrice was actually created by mistake by a very drunk alchemist. Because to hatch a cockatrice, you need an egg laid by an old rooster, which you then incubate under a toad or sometimes a snake. The opposite process of how to get a basilisk. I couldn't find any alchemy recipes that call for cockatrice. So I like to imagine that drunk alchemist on hatch day, scratching his head and flipping through his alchemy book again. Now, obviously, the cockatrice is logistically a little harder to come by, as roosters don't typically lay eggs. We know now that roosters can't lay eggs at all. However, once in a while in a chicken coop, a farmer would discover an egg, much smaller than the other eggs, and this unusual egg wouldn't hatch no matter how long it was incubated. This type of egg, now called a wind egg, was originally called a cock egg, and was believed to have been laid by a rooster. In reality, this small egg is just an egg without a yolk, laid by a young hen whose egg-laying mechanisms haven't fully developed yet. But when the myth of the cockatrice became prevalent, people were 100% that if you left a wind egg alone, it would absolutely hatch out a cockatrice. The only way to prevent this was to toss the egg over the family house without hitting the roof and have it break on the other side of the house. But, like, no pressure to get that toss just right. You know, because if you graze the roof, even a little bit, we'll have another cockatrice. But no big deal. Now, if you've decided you're looking for a rooster dragon pet, you should know that it shares a few weaknesses with its predecessor, the basilisk. Like the basilisk, the cockatrice can also be killed by a rooster's crow, so you'll want to take it off the farm ASAP. It can also be killed by looking at its own reflection, too. So no bird enrichment mirrors either, and no selfies. Weasels may or may not actually be a problem for the cockatrice, but avoid them just in case. Follow these steps and you are on your way to a lifelong friendship with a creature you can never directly look at, touch, or have any sort of contact with whatsoever. You know, like a goldfish. But let's say, for argument's sake, neither the basilisk or the cockatrice is quite what you're looking for. Maybe you want a new best friend with a few more legs. This is a frankly greedy and unreasonable demand, but I'll humor you. Our last candidate for your new petrifying friend is a creature called the Kataplipas, a legendary creature from Ethiopia. Plenty of the elders at it again. Describing this creature as a mid-sized creature, sluggish, with a heavy head and a face always turned to the ground. He thought its gaze, like that of a basilisk, was lethal. The Kataplipas has since been fleshed out, and it is now described as a black, mid-sized herbivore about the size of a domestic bull, with the body of a cape buffalo, a scale-covered back, a thick, shaggy mane, and a very heavy, hog-like head with narrow eyes. It is sluggish in its movements, but it can kill or petrify with just a glance. Luckily, its head is so heavy that the Catable Pass rarely bothers to look up. This creature does not have a reputation of being especially aggressive, per se, but the Catable Pass is actually thought to be inspired by early accounts of encounters with wildebeest, which, as Mufasa can tell you, 
are far more dangerous than they first appear. They also don't have any known weaknesses. The Katablepas, not the wildebeest. Which I assume is because, unlike our previous two friends, you can avoid being petrified by just leaving this creature alone. The Katablepas in later descriptions also gets the ability to breathe poison by eating poisonous plants. But I'm sure you could get rid of that by offering a balanced commercial diet of non-poisonous plants. Yes, if cattle ranching is more your speed, but you still need that threat of potential petrification, the Katablepas would make a great new lifelong friend for you and your family. So, which will it be? The King of Snakes, a Rooster Dragon, or an Eeyore-esque Wildebeest? All of them? None of them? That's okay, you don't have to answer right away. After all, I understand how easy it can be to be petrified by indecision. That's all this week for three lifelong companions that can turn you into stone. If you want to learn more about husbandry and upkeep for these fantastic beasts, check out the show notes. Intro and outro, as well as musical score, are done by the Beastmaster himself, Scott Ethington. Track down more of his work at Bazooka Raccoon on SoundCloud.com. Finally, if you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes, or consider donating to our Patreon. Every little bit helps, and more support means I'm more motivated to do the best job I can to bring you more monsters. Thank you for listening, and remember, anyone can be a monster. <laughs>